Now, if you've been with us, we've been looking at the marks of what a fruitful Christian looks like. And we've been taking our cue from Jonathan Edwards, uh, the great pulpiteer, who is not really known for a lot of practical uh, teaching. Uh, He's most famously known for his uh, sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But Jonathan Edwards was also a practitioner, and he describes some of the key uh, elements that describe what a a fruitful Christian looks like. And we've been looking at those, and we looked at the first one, which was a call to worship. We as God's people are called to worship Him, not only individually in our homes, but in a context like a Sunday morning, we come today to center our attention upon Him, to esteem Him highly, to hold Him up, We have not come here this morning to please ourselves. We have come to please an audience of one, and that is the living God. And then we looked at the second mark of a fruitful Christian, and that is that we're always ready to confess and repent. We keep short accounts. We don't let things kind of drag on. If we get out of sorts with God or we get out of sorts with one another, we get things fixed. We don't live in that kind of defeat. And then we also looked at the power of the Word of God. This book that we hold in our hands, this is a supernatural book. It can transform our lives as we allow its truth to take root in our hearts. And then last week we looked at the fourth mark of a fruitful Christian, and that is that we have an insatiable desire to know God, to know the God who knows us so well. He knows every detail in our lives. And as we are growing in our walk and in our relationship with with Him, we want to get to know Him better. We want to know who He is and how He can work in our lives. And now today we want to look at that fifth mark of what a fruitful Christian looks like, and that is to foster a remarkable love for God and for one another. And so this morning, I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, We're going to look primarily at this passage. This is a passage that uh, uh, just is so full of uh, good, wise counsel. And uh, we're going to begin at verse 7, and we will read through verse 12, okay? Let's all stand in honor of the Word of God. You follow along as I read. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved... God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Holy Spirit, 
open our hearts and our minds to the truth of this passage. Imprint it deeply in our minds and our hearts. In the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Loving others is absolutely indispensable if we are to have authentic and meaningful relationships. This past week I came across an interesting insight from Robert McCracken in his book, What is Sin and What is Virtue? He made this statement, quote, We are so made that if we do not love, we perish. We are so made that if we do not love, we perish. He goes on to say that as gravity is to the sun and the stars, so love is to every human being. It's the most profound need of all mankind. Every single one of us need to know that we are loved. That we are loved by God and we are loved by those within our circle of influence. We will only know the love of God, however, only when we have put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. He's the one that helps us to understand the depth of the love that God has for us. And I want to reaffirm this morning to every single one of us today that we are loved of God. You may have come into this room feeling that you don't matter, that nothing is going well for you. I want to remind you that God loves you just as you are. He comes to our rescue. He makes it possible for us to have a relationship to Him that is transformative And then he works in our hearts and ways to such a degree that the love that we have received from God spills over into our relationships with each other. Now the Bible makes three things very clear. First of all, God is the source of love. Here in 1 John 4, 7, for love is from God. Verse 16, God is love. God is the initiator He is the one who demonstrates how much he loves us. Without God, love would not exist. He is the source of love. Not only is God the source of love, Jesus Christ is the living proof of love. That very familiar verse tells us everything we will ever need. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus is the living proof. He is God in the flesh who came into our world for one purpose and that was to die on the cross to take our place. We all deserve to die. But God sent his son. Jesus is the living proof of how much God the Father loves every single one of us. And number three, the Holy Spirit is the dispenser of love. It's the Holy Spirit that reminds us that God is at work in our hearts. 
The book of Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, the Bible says that the love of God is poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. When we believe, we receive the Holy Spirit and we are literally inundated with the love of God. Before that, we didn't have any capacity to love. While we are yet sinners, we can't love as God loves. But because He gives to us the Holy Spirit, the moment you and I believe, we are literally inundated. We have a new capacity to love that we never had before. And that is so powerful to understand this morning that as transformed individuals, the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives and He constantly reminds us that we are loved of God and He's also the one that stimulates us to love others as we ourselves have been loved of God. The end result of this is transformation. And Jesus tells His disciples that when we love as God loves, we become part of His discipling process that never ever ends. He says in John 13, 34 and 35, a new command I give you, strong command, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. Love for others is the badge of our discipleship. Discipleship has a little bit to do with gaining knowledge. Discipleship, true discipleship, has a practical aspect to it where God calls us to love as He has loved. It's more relationally driven than theologically driven. Many of us pride ourselves on how many Bible studies and all the stuff that we have done over the years. It's not how much we know, it's how much we love. That is the badge of our discipleship. And what God is looking for in this generation are lifelong Christ followers who will love God supremely and love each other as they have been loved of God. Now, let's be honest this morning. Loving others isn't as easy as it sounds, is it? I'm reminded of a little eight-year-old boy who wrote a letter to his pastor. He said, Pastor, I know God loves everybody, but he hasn't met my sister. <laughs> you see, loving others is risky. It takes time and effort. It requires sacrifice. It requires putting our interests on hold and begin to be concerned about the interests of others. Loving others stretches us. It gets us out of our comfort zone. Way too many of us that have been in the church for a long period of time are way too comfortable. And the reason we're comfortable is that we haven't understood how much God loved us and we haven't translated that into loving relationships with each other. We are so quick to criticize. We are so quick to complain. And God calls us. He calls us to be his disciples to love as he has loved. And I believe the moment for us has come when we need to stop talking about loving each other and actually love each other. Even those with whom we disagree or who may disagree with us. Let, let me tell you, it's difficult to love those that don't 
view life the same way we view life. It's hard to deal with those that have different perspectives. And yet, as we learn to love them as we have been loved of God, our lives take on a whole new dimension, a whole new capacity because we actually begin to love them because we're praying for everything. If you're out of sorts with someone today, start praying for them. Won't be long before the Holy Spirit begins to melt your hearts together and some incredible revitalization and restoration can occur. Now I want to share with you several insights from this passage that tell us how significant a love for God and each other really is. First of all, loving one another indicates spiritual rebirth. Look at verse 7, 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And underscore this next phrase in chartreuse. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Spiritual rebirth is possible because of God's love. Verse 7, love is from God. Verse 8, because God is love. Verse 16, God is love. Verse 19, He first loved us. You and I have the possibility of a new birth, a new life, because God is love. We don't have to remain in our sins. We can pass from death to life. We can experience a whole new dimension as we put our trust in the God who loves us and who sent His Son to be our Savior and our Lord. God as to His very nature is love. Now listen carefully. Love is not some quality God possesses, nor is it something God falls into and out of. God as to His very nature is love. Man's nature, apart from God, is sinful nature. It is a nature, nature that is prone to evil. It is a nature that that is prone to doing things that break God's heart. Human nature is prone to get bitter. Prone to become self-centered. To strive, even to hate. But God's nature is to love. And wrap your arms around this this morning... You and I, by virtue of our personal faith in Jesus Christ, have received the very nature of God. When by faith we trust Him. Do you realize that when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, the old nature is to go. The new nature is to take over. And what happens many times, even as Christ's followers, we allow that old nature, that old flesh, to get the best of us. And instead of loving God and loving others as we know we should, it's not that we lack knowledge. I'm not saying anything new today. We all know this in our minds. It's very difficult to carry it out in action. But God's nature has been given to us because of what Christ did for us. At the cross. It's not only God's nature to love, but love is God's initiative and action. 
You see, the love that God has for us is not passive, it is active. God didn't sit up in heaven and have some nice warm feelings for us and say, ah, those poor folk, they've missed the mark. Hmm, I'm just going to kind of let them do whatever they want to do. No, his love was active. He takes the initiative in sending his son into the world to die in our place, to be our sin substitute. The Bible says, the one who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And he wants us to live not like we used to live before we've been touched by his grace and his love implanted into our hearts. He wants to have us live a new life where we are falling more deeply in love with him every day and our love for one another is visible, authentic, and real. Now, the evidence of spiritual rebirth, don't let this get by you too quickly this morning, The evidence that we have literally been born from above is a love for others. Notice the last part of verse 7. Everyone who has been born of God and knows God, whoever does not love, verse 8, does not know God because God is love. The sense is, is that when we evidence in our relationships with others this new life in Christ and we're growing and cultivating loving relationships, even with those that view life differently than we do, who are on speaking terms with everyone, we do not pull away in isolation from those that maybe disagree with us. This is what breaks the heart of God more than anything else. And this is one of the reasons why the world, I'm going to have more to say about this in a minute, why the world doesn't take the church very seriously anymore. They see what's going on in the body of Christ. And I'm talking about the church nationwide in general. This is the problem. We say we love God but we don't act like we even know him. We allow things to distract us and pull us away from one another over the most trivial things. It's sad. I wish you could follow me around over the last 50 years. The things that cause people to go in different directions many times is so minute and yet we as the people of God somehow we want to win people today in the church want to win they don't want to resolve And one of the reasons why there is discord many times is because we have forgotten that we have the capacity to love and to heal relationships, but we have to learn how to minister and build relationships with each other. It's an evidence that you've been born from above. 
Look again at chapter 3, the previous chapter, verses 14 and 15. Anyone, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life. There's the transformation. Because we love our brothers. There it is. That's the evidence. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Jesus laid down his life for us. He died in our place. Are we willing to make that kind of a sacrifice for each other? Are we willing to lay down our lives for each other so that the cause of Jesus Christ can move ahead? Or do we cling to our rights? And we cling to things that oftentimes distract us from loving the way God calls us to love. It's very interesting. Verse 8. As I've looked at this, this is a very heavy principle. Notice what he says. He says, whoever does not love does not know God. The original makes that even a stronger statement. Whoever does not love God has never known him to begin with. It is a strong, strong statement. In other words, if we can't love those that we are called to love, then there is a question mark over the reality of our salvation experience. Now, we don't like to hear that. But that's what this is saying to us. When, when we hold issues in our heart toward another person in the body, or we can't, we, we, we ignore each other, there's a question mark. Have you really come to a place where you have surrendered your life to the living God and you have received His nature and are being transformed daily to live a life that is pleasing to Him? This is a very serious verse. Many times we think that we can be at war with our brothers and our sisters and still have peace with God. There's no way you can do that. God is a God of love. And when we really know Him, when there are issues between us and another believer, we will not rest until we get it resolved. We will not try to win. We will seek to resolve it because that's the new nature we have been given by God. And so John is letting us know that the supreme gauge of our spirituality is not our orthodoxy, what we believe, but rather the supreme gauge of our spirituality is our orthopraxy, how we behave. I know lots of churches today that pride themselves, oh, we believe, we are staunch believers. They're the very same churches that 
There's not much love in the body. It's not our orthodoxy, it's our orthopraxy that God is looking for. Number two, loving others is not only an evidence of a spiritual rebirth, it includes loving ourselves. I want you to keep your finger there in 1 John chapter 4, but flip over to Romans chapter 13 and verse 8 and following. Romans 13 verses 8 and following. He says, Paul is writing to the Romans, he says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt, here it is again, to what? To keep on loving one another for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law, the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. Whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor, here it is, as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, self-love along with spiritual rebirth are the prerequisites for loving others. But many of us have backed away from loving ourselves because we have not understood the whole counsel of God. For example, we read in John 12, 25, the man who loves his life will lose it. Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 2 about people who are lovers of themselves. And when you take those verses and add to it what the Bible says about the lostness of the human condition and depravity, we might well come to the conclusion that self-love is not biblical. But these biblical exhortations that we've just read are not made in opposition to loving ourselves, but rather are directed over against over-loving ourselves or loving ourselves for the wrong motivation. Norman Geisler, in his book, The Christian Ethic of Love, puts things in perspective. He says, quote, A man is to deny selfishness in himself but not the self from which it comes we must never forget that God the father thought man was worth saving and God the son thought 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 man was worth dying for and the Holy Spirit thought man was worth making alive again you see it's the Holy Spirit who imparts and makes us alive in Christ so, the Bible does not minimize self-love, but when we have a wrong perspective on it, it can lead us astray. Now, notice what he says here in verse 9 of Romans 13. He quotes Moses in the, uh, Leviticus 19 and verse 18. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let's face it. A person will not consciously harm himself sometimes people do unfortunately but most people will not do anything to hurt themselves or to not take care of themselves 
If we love ourselves because we have been loved by God, we will also love others and we will not sin against them. Paul encourages husbands in Ephesians chapter 5, 28 and 29, husbands ought to love their wives, notice, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. If a husband is to care for his wife, if he is to take good care of her, he must first of all love God and then also love himself. Those who don't love themselves will have difficulty in loving others. As God's people, we must not be driven by what I call worm theology or otherwise known as false humility. Most of us have sung that great hymn. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Time I hear that. Am I a worm? Did Christ die for a worm? Obviously, that's not what he meant. Was was trying to describe the human condition apart from a personal relationship with Christ. Indeed, we were worm-like before we came to Christ. In fact, the Bible says before we come to him, all of our good works, all of our do-goodisms, all of our righteousness is nothing more than a pile of dirty rags. But though we were worm-like before our conversion, we certainly aren't worms now. I mean, if God wanted us to be worms, he could very easily made us worms. In fact, he's pretty good at making worms. But in his sovereignty, he chooses to make us in his image. And he has breathed his life into us. And when we become Christ followers, his life is to resonate in every dimension of our lives. And so self-love, we have to have a good view of ourselves. We need to view ourselves as God views us. And he doesn't view us as worms. He views us as unique, created individuals in his image. And he always wants the best for us. He wants the best for us. He wants us to come into a personal relationship with himself and love ourselves so that we can love others the way he has loved us. Number three, loving one another inspires growing relationships. You see this in verse 7. Love comes from God. Verse 11. Since God so loved us. Verse 12. If we love one another. Verse 21. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
One of the things that we need to do periodically is do an inventory of our vocabulary. We need to take a look and examine the things that sometimes come out of our mouths that we don't think a whole lot about, but in reality are danger signals. Came across an interesting little booklet the other day. People, what you should know about getting along with them. And the author mentioned a number of these danger signals that sometimes just pop out of our mouths without thinking, but they oftentimes can be hurtful. Hmm. Here you let me give you a few of these well it's none of my business but I don't mean to be gossipy but I believe in being frank so I don't mean to interfere but I know I shouldn't tell you this but we're good enough friends that we can speak freely. Maybe I shouldn't say so. I don't mean to bore you, but... These are some of the things that sometimes we say to one another. Now, the author's conclusion is simply this, quote, train your ears to listen for these little danger signs popping up in your speech until you automatically stop before you say the things you will later regret. Now, loving others is one of the ways in which we grow spiritually. Loving each other is the way in which we put on spiritual muscle. I love what William Barclay says. He says, no matter what any man does to me, I will never seek him harm. I will never set out for revenge. I will always seek nothing but his highest good. And why is this? Why do we love this way? Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. You see, loving others is not the natural response. It is a supernatural response. We can't gin up this kind of love. This is a kind of love that is cultivated as we obey the scriptures. And if there are areas in our life where we are disobeying the scriptures, then our love for one another will soon diminish. Growing relationships with others is indicative of spiritual growth and maturity. Notice verse 12 where he says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. The last part of that verse, his love is made complete in us. When we are loving others, we are fulfilling the purpose that God has for us. Do you understand this? When we are loving others, we are actually fulfilling the reason why we were 
brought into the family of God in the first place. We were brought into this marvelous relationship so that we can grow and develop and become more like Jesus. And he wants us simply to just love as he loves. It's not hard. It's difficult. It's not easy to love this way. But let me tell you, it will transform our conversations. It will transform the way we talk about each other. It'll transform everything in life. We complete the work when we are loving others. Think of this. We complete the work God first began when he accepted us with all of our flaws. Aren't you glad God's accepted all your flaws? Can we not learn to accept each other's flaws? Not get all worked up over it? None of us are perfect. Anybody perfect here? Hmm, praise God, nobody raised their hand. We're all imperfect people. We're flawed individuals. And yet God loves us. You are loved of God this morning. I hope this is what resonates with you. We understand how much the Father loves us. And then lastly, loving one another implements a positive witness. Now you see this again in verse 12. Notice. He says, no one has ever seen God but. But if we love one another, God lives in us. I want you to look also at verses 15 and 16 of chapter 4. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God, and so we know and rely upon the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Paul, when he writes to the Colossians, he speaks about this as Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you realize, as Christ's followers, Christ has taken up residence in us? Wherever we go, he goes. He listens in on every conversation. He knows everything about us. There's not a thing that we do or say or think that surprises God. He knows everything. But no one has ever seen God. I mean, Moses had a, had a glimpse, but he didn't see God in his fullness. Remember God hit him in the cleft of the rock? No, no one has ever seen God. But what is this verse saying to us? No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. The only way some people will ever see God is through our lives, through our loving relationships. And when they see that God has transformed us and he's transformed the way we live and how we respond, let me tell you, it is transformational. The gospel according to you is powerful. Every single one of us, when we leave these doors, we're entering our mission field. And there are people that will never darken the door of a church, but
but they're reading our lives every single day. And they know whether we're real or whether we're false. What the world is desperately in need of is authentic believers who are reflecting God in their relationships. This is what is transformative. This is what will change the world. Vital relationships within the body of Christ are the greatest incentives for others to come and investigate the faith and learn about the God who loves them and who loves us. But the reverse is also true. When the world doesn't see love in our relationships with each other, what do they do? They scoff at our gospel, they marginalize our witness, and they continue to search for meaning and purpose in the wrong places. Honest doubt that could have led them to the foot of the cross becomes hardened skepticism that drives them further into spiritual defeat and despair. There are people today that we are rubbing shoulders with that are very, very skeptical of the church. And the reason they are skeptical of the church is they have not seen loving relationships in the body. They want to know who God is. They hear about this God of love. They hear about this God of grace. They hear about this transformation that can happen. But when they look at what's happening to the body of Christ, the body of Christ, we are in a minority today. This is a post-Christian world. I never thought I'd ever live in a post-Christian world when I started out in ministry problem is is that the church hasn't been the church we have not been salt and light we have allowed the world to squeeze us into its mold and what God is looking for he's looking for a body of people who will love him transformationally and who will love each other so our love just kind of oozes out don't you love to be around people like that <laughs> it's, it's wonderful now, loving one another means three things, and I'm going to stop. First of all, loving one another means always looking for ways to assist and help others. I am told that uh, the former broadcaster, Dan Rather, had three ways of keeping his professional objective in front of him at all times. He wrote on three pieces of paper, and what is what I'm doing now helping the broadcast. He wrote that phrase, put it in his pocket, put it in his billfold. He had it on his desk. Is what I'm doing right now helping the broadcast? We need to take three pieces of paper and write down this little phrase. Is what I am doing right now affecting the kingdom of God is what I am doing right now affecting the kingdom of God put it by your telephone 
Put it on the visor of your car. Put it in your pocket. We as the body of Christ need to be conscious that every day we have an opportunity to impact the culture with the good news of the gospel. That's what it's all about. And what I'm doing impacting the kingdom. Number two. Loving one another means leveraging the law of love lavishly toward others. An unknown author in the Watchman Examiner writes this, Be a spendthrift on love. Love is the one treasure that multiplies by division. It's the one gift that grows bigger and more you take from it. It is the one gift that grows bigger the more you take from it. It is the one business in which it always pays to be an absolute spendthrift. Give it away, throw it away, splash it over, empty your pockets, shake the basket, turn the glass upside down, and tomorrow you'll have more than ever. Just lavish, lavish love on others. And then lastly, most importantly of all, we need to let God love us. You see, we can never love others until first of all, we have received the love that God has for us. And if you've never ever put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, if you've never really understood how much God loves you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to make that kind of a commitment. God loves you. He died to save you. If you've never received him personally into your heart, today I want to give you an opportunity to do so. There may be some of the rest of you who say, you know, Pastor, you've talked about loving others, but I'm having difficulty loving some individuals. They've hurt me. I'm having a hard time loving others. I just need some prayer. Maybe there's some of you that need to come as well and just say, Lord, help me to love a person that's hurt me. Help me to love a person that maybe has misunderstood me, maybe misrepresented me. And then there may be some of you here this morning, you say, you know, Pastor, I just, I, I feel like I'm a nobody. I feel like a, I, I just, I feel like a worm. But, but I, I, I just need a fresh touch from God. And so this morning, if any of you have any of those kind of needs, we're just going to take a few moments. I'm just going to open up the altar. If you need to come and put your faith and trust in Jesus, you just come. If you need prayer to love a difficult person, just come. There'll be people that will come around you and love you, pray with you. Maybe you'd feel like you don't matter and you need a special touch from God. We invite you to come, okay? Let's just all bow our heads quietly. We're not going to spend a lot of time. I'm not going to try to trick you or embarrass you in any way. But if you'd like to meet Jesus, if you'd like to have prayer to help a person that's really been difficult, just come on. Just step out from wherever you are. And you can just kneel here at the altar. Maybe you feel like no one cares about you. Just come on. Just come on and kneel. There'll be others that will come forward and pray with you as well. Just take a few more minutes. Up in the balcony, we'll wait for you. Now, this is a, this is a holy moment. 
you want to really allow God to work in your life in a special way. Step out. Takes a little bit of courage. But God does wonders. We'll just wait for another moment or two. No looking around. Just do business with God. Make sure that you're in a right relationship to Him. You're in a right relationship with others. We'll wait for just another moment. God's here. He's, he's, he's touching hearts. Anyone else like to come? I want to pray for these that have come and just ask the Holy Spirit to do His work in their hearts. And then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, I thank you for these folks that have come. I don't know exactly what the need is, but you do. You love us so much. You care for us so much. And so we pray that the concern, the burden that's on their hearts, they will lay it at the foot of the cross and experience just freedom and joy that they've never, ever known before. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness. Thank you for Calvary Church. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the body of Christ. Lord, may we leave this place and enter our mission field and just saturate this community with love for you and love for others. Thank you for your presence in our lives. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and that sweet, sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning, and Maranatha, have a great day in Jesus.